May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening and Merry Christmas. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. Evening. Sorry, old habits die hard. Uh, welcome to Christ the King this evening. You know, it never fails. I, uh, you can anticipate that someone in my uh, line of work has, uh, there are a few passages that are anticipated, a few times of year. Easter morning, well, it's a predictable passage uh, you want to hear from Christmas Eve. This story, and I'm always surprised. It, I always approach it with a little fear and trepidation because Boy, after I've only been at this 10 years, but even after 10 years, I wonder, is there something new and fresh? And I have to tell you, without fail, after a few moments of meditation, I'll find myself thinking, wow, I just never uh, realized that. I never saw that. It's just a reminder of the, of the treasure and the really untappable, the, the deep well of the treasure of God's Word, that it's inexhaustible. And as we turn to it and are open to what God would say to us through His Word, He speaks, regardless of how many times we've heard a, a passage before. So the, for the format for this evening, just two uh, two points, the first of which I'm just, I want to tease out this observation that I mentioned, and I want to explain why I think it's significant, and then I offer, want to offer one implication of this observation. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. You know the story well, but have it open in front of you. What I noticed is this passage is really divided into two very neat scenes. Same story, uh, but two scenes of that same story. If you were if you were going to film this, uh, you could easily imagine the camera shifting from one scene to the other. Let's title the first scene a down-to-earth scene. Uh, in this scene, the focus is Mary and Joseph. Um, and as that scene begins, we can envision Mary and Joseph making their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem at the tail end of that 70-mile journey, and then the scene breaks, and meanwhile, meanwhile, out in the fields, there's a group of shepherds watching over their flocks, tending them to the day's work. Scene jumps back to Mary and Joseph. They've now entered Bethlehem, knocking on the doors, finding no place, having to settle for a stable, cut back to the Shepherds in the fields, their day has come to a close, or pinned the sheep, or whatever you do to sheep at the end of the day. They're gathering by the fire for the wrapping, wrapping up the day. Back to Mary and Joseph. The time comes, and uh, the baby is to be delivered, and Joseph grabs Mary's hand, and you know, after the ordeal, they both collapse exhausted. Back to the shepherds. The night is split open. There's an angelic announcement, the glory of the Lord. And then, as Mary and Joseph wrap the baby in swaddling claws and lie him in a manger, the shepherds begin the short journey from, from the fields out in Bethlehem into the city to, as they say, see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. Two scenes. Kind of a meanwhile, this scene is going on, and then meanwhile, this scene is going on. 
What strikes me is the first scene is down to earth. The first scene, the second scene, is heavenly. Now this may, may sound a little bit vague. Let me explain what I mean. The first scene is very down to earth, where there are a lot of words that you would expect that are simply missing. You don't find the Lord, God, glory, heaven, anything that you would associate with things that are spiritual. Uh, notice how Luke begins. Now, the words are, are nostalgic for us in the days of Caesar Augustus. He declared a, a decree, right? Those words have some sentimentality. But if you remove the nostalgia, it's an awfully strange way to begin the most momentous event of history. If I could contemporize it just to make the point, every year, 10 years, the, our nation has a census. What if this passage began in the year 2020, the United States had its... Uh, census and Mary and Joseph went to be. It seems very strange, doesn't it? To begin this significant event of history, the most significant event of history, with uh, an arbitrary decree from a secular government. I don't mean secular as a bad word, it just means it simply has nothing to do with the savior of the world. Strange, isn't it? So the story begins with an arbitrary decree from a secular authority. Mary and Joseph are not presented as if they are aware that they are involved in the grand events, the grand event of history. They, they go to Bethlehem from Nazareth, not because of some divine premonition. They go because he's a faithful citizen in response to the decree of Caesar Augustus. We have a nativity scene in my house, and my children love to take it out and make their arrangements and order Jesus just so laying in his manger and make sure Jesus, Joseph and Mary are you know, appropriately tending uh, the infant child. But just remember that this, uh, the, the manger and the stable were not for the purposes of a Hallmark card. Uh, this was just a desperate mother looking for a practical step to care for her child. God is a little inconspicuous, isn't he? No mention of him, no mention of the Lord, no mention of glory, down to earth. This first scene is told from the ground up. It begins with a government decree. It highlights a husband's faithfulness to his wife, his obedience as a citizen, and the mother's practicality as she found a manger for his crib. Down to earth. That's the first scene. The second scene is a heavenly scene, isn't it? It's told from not down to earth, from, uh, but from the top down. It's as if the, the curtains were peeled back and we saw the workings of heaven, right? Uh, God, who was inconspicuous in the first scene, is very conspicuous in the second. Those words which were absent in the first scene, God, heaven, Lord, glory, are abundant in the second. The angel of the Lord appeared. The glory of the Lord shone round. And it's from the angel's announcement. We learn that God's silence doesn't mean he's absent. The angel says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
From that announcement, we learned that this seemingly random decree given by some secular authority had an alternative purpose. It was related to the plans of God in that this random decree had the effect of moving a family, Joseph and Mary, from Nazareth to Bethlehem in fulfillment of the biblical prophecy that the Savior would in fact come from Bethlehem. So this random census was not so random after all. God was somehow at work. God was at work through Mary's practical steps to care for her child, wrapping him in swaddling cloths, laying him in a manger. This would be the sign by which the shepherds would recognize him. And his humble birth and Mary's practical steps made necessary by a an overcrowded city would be an enduring indicator of his humble birth. You see, there was something more at work behind Mary's practical steps that she took. Swaddling claws and manger, an enduring sign. So that is my observation. We see two scenes working together. One from the bottom up, a government, a faithful man, a practical new mother. The other scene, from the heaven down, showing God at work. And I just want us to pause and to appreciate the handiwork and the design of God. Many of you probably have Christmas dinner coming up. I don't speak from experience, but I'm told that one of the challenges of Christmas dinner is to have everything come out hot at, right, at just the right moment. So you have different things that require different temperatures and different lengths of time. Mind you, this is all hearsay, uh, but the goal is to have it all piping hot just right at the right moment. Just consider Consider the various things that God orchestrated in order for what we just read, in order for that to happen. He needed a, a, a governing authority with enough sophistication to issue a decree, and that decree needed to line up with a pregnant woman to get her from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Bethlehem would need to be sufficiently crowded in order for there to be no room there so that this family could find a stable to lie down. God orchestrated all of these things in order to bring about his plan of salvation. The Bible says when the time was fulfilled, God sent his son into the world. And in this story we see the fulfillment occurring. I want us to appreciate his wisdom, his coordination, the sophistication he used as he used a Roman decree, a crowded city, long journey, woman's labor, all these things converging at just the right time. And so that was the observation that struck me as I sat with this passage this week. And I want to offer one implication. One thing that this should leave with us this evening 
it should leave us with a great amount of confidence in God. It's not a Christmas carol, but there is a well-known song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. You know it. This story illustrates that point. He's got the whole world in his hands. Caesar Augustus, his Roman governor Quirinius, he works through it all to bring about we don't, Christians don't believe that we are puppets and he is some puppet master. We don't believe that God was whispering into Caesar's ear, now's the time, Caesar, no. We don't believe that God is directly responsible for every awful thing that happens. No, we don't believe that. But we do believe this, that God has got the whole world in his hands and that he is working through seemingly random things like government decrees and arbitrary senses. He is working through inconveniences like crowded cities and no room in the end to bring about his plan of salvation. He's got the whole world in his hands. And this story illustrates his gentle shaping of history. And what's true then is true now. God still has the whole world in his hands. And God is, the events of your life are not some random sequence. The events of history are not some random. No, God has a grand design. He has a grand purpose. What is that grand purpose? What's that grand design? That's the subject too broad for a Christmas Eve, but I can guarantee I know one aspect of his grand design for each one of us. And that is that we would be similar to those shepherds. While we don't know the full extent of what God is up to in any of our lives, I do believe that he is right now drawing each one of you, like he drew those shepherds, to know, to worship, to follow his son Jesus, like those shepherds did. And you know the things that he's probably using you, using to draw you to him? Probably random circumstances, probably things that look a little bit arbitrary, even inconvenient. He works through those things to draw us to himself. And one of the things I look forward to in, in heaven is to look at the tapestry of my life, your life, our lives, and to see how seemingly random things, things like a census, things like an overcrowded city, were not so random after all. I look forward to looking at those things that were an inconvenience and even a trouble, things that I wish didn't happen, and seeing those things were, were necessary as well. Won't that be great? And see that how all things worked into some larger purpose of God's grand design to draw us to his son. So there we come to a conclusion. Merry Christmas. Remember that God has the whole world in his hands, and he is gently guiding history guiding your life, and like he is likely using the mundane stuff of life to bring you to his son, the Savior, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, as there was no room for him in the inn.